Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you've got them, to Acts chapter 14, I'm going to go from verse 14. And I just really want to welcome the Australia for Jesus crew that are here. Uh, We've got Roger, a few people that I don't know, Cliff's also here. And um, I just want to testify that also um, yesterday, Tony sent me a message, Tony McClellan, who was here for our Six Hot Sundays. He said that their first effort on Saturday morning yielded 21 partial presentations of the gospel, 22 full presentations, and 10 people in the Country Music Festival prayed the sinner's prayer. So can we give God a hand for that? The angels are rejoicing about that, so we better as well. Um, So Linnea finished us off in Acts chapter 14, where the crowd rushed to Barnabas and Paul because they'd performed a miracle in the name of Jesus and they wanted to worship them. So I'm going to go from verse 14 and it says, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, just note that in the Bible, um, usually the most prominent Uh, of the people that are mentioned are mentioned first. So here we still have Barnabas being mentioned first because he's the one who brought Paul on. He's the one who established churches initially and he's still mentioned first here. It says, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So that that statement there, he's debunking what they already think about what the gods do. They're thinking that there's a God of rain, that there's a God of harvest, that there's a God who is of joy and of of all um, celebration. He's saying there's one God And He fills your hearts with joy. He's the one who has done all good things. He's been testifying by sustaining you on this earth. Now, when He's saying this, He's saying it in response to them worshipping Him. And I just want to pause here for a moment and just say how humans are not made for worship, guys. Now, I know you know this, but we're not made for fame. God is made for glory and to be famous. And we only need to look around in the celebrity culture where we see people who are crumbling under the pressure and the weight of celebrity culture. But then we look in the church as well and we see where pastors and leaders are crumbling under the weight of celebrity culture. Why? Because we were never made to be praised. God was made to be praised. We were never made to be famous. God was made to be famous. Um, Not to us, but to Your Name. We lift up all praise, all the glory, all the honour, all the power, all the praise belongs to our God. And any time that we try to carry any of that, that's too heavy for us. And we can't stand up under the weight of it. So we should not be surprised when people who carry the weight of glory crumble because they were never made for it. That was always made for Jesus. So I know that there's not many famous people apart from Brendan Norton in this room. But I just want to you know, put out there that in this culture where people are striving for, fl- for fame, they're striving for more followers, they're striving for all that, we are not made for a church. We're made to give all praise, all glory and honour to Jesus. So let's continue to do that. Now, it might be difficult sometimes. People will always honour 
um, a person and sometimes hold them up above um, Jesus. They'll look to that person rather than looking to Jesus. You know what? For a long time, I looked to my husband before looking to Jesus. I thought that, you know, he needed to fix my problems, that he needed to fill my needs. But Jesus was always, Bron, you can't carry that weight. I'm the one who has to carry that weight for you. So verse 18 says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So the crowd are always gonna want someone to worship. And we see this in the desert when Moses led them out and the glory cloud is upon Mount Sinai. There's obstacles. If ever there was a time that people should have just been enthralled with the glory of God, it's right there, they can see it. But instead they're down and they're saying to Aaron, we wanna worship gods like the nations around us. And so there's this gravitational pull while ever we're on this earth to do the things that other people are doing around us. And our job is to keep pressing into the glory of God to ensure that we don't go that way. Then um, some Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So here's some people stirring up trouble. They stoned Paul with rocks and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, some people say that Paul was actually dead because they would have looked at him, they would have tested him, they would have thought he, they, they left him for dead. And some people say this was actually a miracle that he just got up and kept going. Regardless, like even if he wasn't fully clinically dead, if they've left him for dead, he's in a bad way. So this is a miracle regardless. Uh, 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. How exciting. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Um, we... Uh, Oh, how cool is this? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. How cool is that? (laughs) I just love that that's the gospel that they're preaching. Hey, guys, turn to God and I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope and your best life now. Here we go, let's do this. Nope, the gospel is we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Let's just keep that in mind. Let's bear that in mind, church. Uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord. Prayer and fasting, they're making a major decision for the church so they commit it in prayer and fasting. I'm saying that because we've got an announcement coming up at the end of the service. Um, and, and committing them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And then they sailed back. Now, we have covered in depth the council at Jerusalem in chapter 15. We covered it on the weekend. We covered it um, in midweek studies. We really, and in our daily devotions, we went deep into that. So we're not going to go into that right now. But suffice to say, and you can still access all that online, suffice to say that this is a gospel of radical inclusion. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is one that is radically inclusive. And when I say something like that, people get really nervous and start to say, what are you saying, Bron? Um, And I want to tell you that that reaction is exactly what happened at the council in Jerusalem. They got really nervous and they said, what are you saying, Paul? What are you saying by this? And so they found out that they um, had amazing news in that they didn't have to get circumcised. All the men said... A few. That's a good response. Um, they didn't have to, like, they didn't actually have to keep the Sabbath. Like, that's crazy as well. They didn't have to apply all these laws to their lives. They could just simply um, believe in Jesus, not offer, not eat food offered to idols, not eat meat that was strangled by blood that was usually done in demonic worship, um, not. Um, be sexually immoral, which also was often done in worship and temple prostitution, but more broadly, part of the moral law. And one more, 
That doesn't apply to us today. No, for real, it doesn't. It's not just because I've forgotten. Um, Hang on, let me read it. Uh, Food, blood, sexual immorality, and if you find it first, yell it out. It is... There's three, praise the Lord. Okay, cool. Um, so let's go to verse 36. So Mikey's going to hone in on this for us. But I just want to read out some things about this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, I know our question in this is that if there was a sharp disagreement, who had turned away from the Lord? Because that is the only way that there would be a disagreement among Christians, am I right? Someone must have turned away from the Lord. I'm joking. Because the the amazing thing, there's so many amazing things about this passage, but it's that disagreements will come. Disagreements here it actually doesn't say who's right and who's wrong. And, and, and that suggests that not every disagreement is bad. You don't always have to be in the right or in the wrong. It, it, things are more nuanced than that. Now, what's the circumstances surrounding it? We looked at it in Acts 13, 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia and John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. That is the sum total of the detail we're given around John Mark's desertion of them. He left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, in Acts 13, this is after a time of severe spiritual warfare. This is all kinds of all things going on. Now, who is someone in the room who has encountered intense spiritual warfare? I just flat out intense spiritual warfare. There's a few people here, but you're in the minority. Um, Gay and David just got back from India. They see it everywhere when they go over there. But we don't see it like in our, with our physical eyes too much in the Western world. But let me tell you all, every story I've ever heard about it, it is intense, it is fierce, and it takes, it takes the stuffing out of you. And so we don't know that even John Mark just was like, oh, man, I've got to go back. I've got to have some respite. That was so intense. And what we know about Paul's temperament is Paul is go, go, go. Paul is driven. Paul is intense. He is on to the next thing. From there, they just went to the next thing. They went spiritual warfare, we're into the next thing. And they kept going and going and going. So why did Barnabas decide to side with John Mark? Why did he say, no, no, I really want to bring John Mark along? Well, one thing that we've learned as we've been looking at the book of Acts is that, John, is that Barnabas always wants to bring someone along. Barnabas is the encourager. Barnabas is the one who raised Paul up in his ministry. So get that. Paul, Barnabas is the one who raised the guy who dragged people out of their homes and put them to death and raised him up into ministry. That is the kind of guy that Barnabas is. If you want to be someone who believes in second chances, look to Barnabas. He is that guy. And so also we need to note that Mark and Barnabas were cousins. John, Mark and Barnabas were cousins. And there's a, a thing that happens in 2 Corinthians, in Galatians rather, chapter 2, and it, it covers off a little bit of the time period that we miss in the book of Acts. Galatians 2, 11 to 14 says this, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So what's going on there? Peter has come, Peter, Cephas, same person. He's come and he's like rejoicing with the Gentiles. Hey, how cool is it that you guys don't need to do all the Jewish things? But then as soon as the really stringent and rigid Jews come, he withdraws from the Gentiles and he hangs out with them and only eats with them instead. He goes back. Now, we could judge Peter for that. But if you've ever done anything because you cared about what people think, you have no right to. Anyone, any friends in the room? Yep. And, uh, and so, but it says that even Barnabas did it. So that's what's happened in between here. So there might've been, we don't know, there might've been a little bit of tension between Paul and Barnabas already because of this. And then away they go. Now, the thing about God is that He works all things together for good. We would say sharp disagreement, but, but what happens out of this is actually amazing. What happens is that now one missionary journey becomes two. Um, Barnabas and John Mark go over here and, and uh, Paul and Silas go over here. And before it was just one missionary um, project <laughs> team, now there's two and they're going to two places. So that is, that is really exciting. God's working together for good. And, and I know that sometimes um, you might have friends that say, well, if you all love God, how come there's so many disagreements in the church? And, and we'd say, you know, we went from one denomination to two denominations with the East-West Schism in 1054 or whatever it was of the Roman Catholic Church. And then we went to Protestantism in the Reformation in the 15th century or whatever it was. And then we went to, and now there's like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of denominations. How can this be God's will? And yet God's like, I'm gonna work together for good through this all. I'm gonna work it all together for good. And I'm gonna reach that person with that style. And I'm gonna reach that person with that style. And there's gonna be a church in Tamworth that meets in the foyer, even though you've got an awesome auditorium and you're gonna get to have breakfast and you're gonna love that. And that's gonna reach so many people. And that's you guys, good job guys. <laughs> so that's really exciting. Uh, two things happen there. And then also the other thing that happened is that John Mark leaving Paul really got to know Peter. And then he wrote the Gospel of Mark from Peter's perspective. We have a Gospel about the account of the life of Jesus Christ because of this disagreement that happened. Wow, that's, that's just amazing. Now, not only that, in Corinthians, Paul recommends Barnabas to the church. So he says, after all this happens, he says, why is it that only Barnabas and I have to work for a living? Support your leaders, guys, is what he's saying. Make sure that you're financially supporting your leaders. Make sure that they shouldn't have to go and get a job if they don't want to. And he's saying that to them. And so clearly they're working together again. And not only that, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, if you could throw that up, Katie, my fellow prisoner, old mate, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So hang on, they're all together again now here in Colossians. He's giving greetings on behalf of Mark. How cool is that? Now, not only that, the coolest thing for me is that in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's last words, he's now no longer, he was under house arrest for a really long time and it wouldn't have been super uncomfortable, but now he's literally chained. He's literally in a really dark place. And he says, I need, I need a couple of things brought to me. I need my cloak. Timothy, can you come too? And he said, and can you bring John Mark? Because he encourages my soul. 
So after all this sharp disagreement, not only does he go back to working with them at some point, but also he says in his time of need that he needs the encouragement that John Mark brings. He said, one time I won't work with him, but now he's at a place where in my most dire need, I need that guy and I need him right now. How cool is that? You know, um, when people talk about temperaments, they describe Paul as a doer, that he's just mission focused, driven, intense, go, go, go. And that John Mark's a feeler and that he actually just loves and values relationship. And, and, that's, and that's, um, that's why Paul needs him in his time of need. He doesn't need him when he's go, 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 mission focused, but he needs him when he needs encouragement. Now, I wonder for a moment how you feel about that. Like, well, if you needed him, you should just need him all the time. That's not okay. Are you okay to be needed when that person needs you and not when you need to be needed? Are you okay if, if you're meeting their need at that time and not at this time? I think sometimes we look in terms of who do I need in this season, but inversely, are we okay to be needed sometimes and not others? Are we, do we have the humility to go, oh, okay, that's all right. Yeah, okay, I feel a little bit rejected. Do you think John Mark didn't feel rejected? Oh man, I would have felt rejected. Paul's saying, no, he can't come with us. We're like, well, Paul, <laughs> let me give you a few home truths. You killed my mother-in-law. No, I don't know what he did. <laughs> but, but he could have, you know, could have gotten really upset. You killed my cousin, whatever. But somehow, and I love even that the Bible doesn't give us all the detail on how it worked out, but it did. And they got over themselves and they were able to move forward in fellowship and unity. Uh, I'm Mikey and it's my pleasure to go forward with you this morning. So like Bron said, um, I'm going to speak a little bit on the uh, sharp disagreement that happened. Um, I am uh, going to talk about how to correct other Christians that are wrong. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, that doesn't sound right. How to be humble and love others. Um, this morning we're going to look at that disagreement that we came across um, and how to disagree with another Christian well. Um, we see that Paul and Barnabas have this sharp disagreement at the end of Acts 15 and that highlights an important topic for us, I believe, as Christians as we go forward. So I'm just going to quickly pray. God, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning. I pray that um, as we discover more in your word that you would speak to us each individually um, and that we would have something that we could take home and uh, put into action practically. Amen. So we sit here this morning in this room, a mixed bunch of people, I particularly look at Susie, um, we're all so different, um, Susie you're not old, but we're old, young, tall, short, smart, less smart, strong minded, careless, so forth, there's so many different people in this room. There are probably more opinions in this room than there are right now caravans on the side of the Peel River. Uh, but this morning, all of our opinions that uh, sit in this room, we sit here under the one name still. We sit under the name of Jesus um, and we need to learn how to hold our views and opinions in a way that speaks Jesus' uh, love in all situations. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. Which brings us to point number one, let it go. Be quick to move past unnecessary disagreements. Proverbs highlights that the wise thing to do is to be patient and overlook an offence. And who here wants to do the wise thing? Yeah. I do. Anyway, no one else raised their hand. Bunch of pagans. <laughs> 
Good way to start my message. Uh, how good are you at moving past an offense? Do you get stuck every time? Or are you, are you actually stretching your patience muscles? Are you actually considering in that moment, um, I, I want to move past this offense before you get caught up in it? God doesn't expect us to get things perfect. His grace is there for a reason. He knows we'll make mistakes. But I believe God desires our hearts to be positioned in a way where we are growing each day and taking small steps. I remember a conversation I had with my brother once where he was struggling with the concept of, like, do I just keep making the same mistake and then I ask for forgiveness and then I make the same mistake and I ask for forgiveness? And and what we discovered or what he discovered on that journey is that it's not about the forgiveness and the mistake, it's about where's our heart at in that? You know, if your heart's not actually to change, then then there's a problem that really needs to be um, addressed there. But if your heart is for change and you make mistakes, God's got grace for that. I wonder, are you content in a stagnant place or are you passionately fighting for a better you? Does your heart break when you mess up or do you not really care? I feel like these are things that are going to indicate what needs to change in that situation. Grace is there for everyone, but that doesn't change that we should live with a strong conviction to be better. Conviction starts in the heart. 1 Peter says, um, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus faced his fair share of disagreements, but as we see in 1 Peter, his response was to move forward and to not get held back by those that were even trying to kill him because they disagreed with him so much. He was the living, walking truth, so if anyone had uh, the right to be able to respond to these um, disagreements... Jesus was that. Instead, he responded with powerful wisdom in the times that were necessary. um, And the rest of the time, he just overlooked. He moved on with the mission that he had. An important part of overlooking is that we do, in fact, overlook it. We move past it. Um, If we just say we've moved past it, but we're holding resentment in our hearts, um, there's something that needs to be addressed there. Um, And we need to make sure that we uh, address that. Uh, and, and a good place to start, well, I believe the place to start is to look inward, not outward, um, which brings us to point two, which is check your heart. Where's your heart at in that? Matthew 7, 3 to 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Ouch, that would hurt. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? Side note, I'd never let Daz take a speck out of my eye. That'd be painful. I think David's actually taken a speck out of my eye before. Uh, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's okay to have a disagreement and a lot of the time disagreements can bring growth and maturity if they're done well. But before these can happen well, or at least I think before these can happen well, we should look at ourselves. If we're disagreeing with a brother or sister in Christ just because um, we want to be right or because we desire to be better than them, then there's something going on inside us that we need to look at before addressing someone else's problems. 
How many of you work out? Raise your hands. Yeah, a few, at least 90% of you should have uh, registered for your New Year's resolution, right? Well, anyway, when we go to the gym, right, we go to the gym and we're, we're breaking things, we're stretching things, we're pushing our body beyond what it's used to be used to and um, causing things to expand. It hurts and sometimes, if it doesn't hurt, you're not pushing hard enough. It hurts and sometimes the pain can be really challenging. You just want to give up and you want to walk away. But at the same time, you know, if you stick it out, you're going to be better off for it and you're going to get the results that you're looking for. Well, at least us young people get the results. I don't know about Daz. <laughs> Sometimes the people in our lives, they break things within us. Um, I don't know if that stirs something up within you, just even thinking about that. Sometimes they cause pain and frustration, fear, hopelessness and more. All of these things can be caused because, not because the person has done something wrong, but actually because there's something going on within us that God wants to address and help us through. But the easy option is to blame the other person, right? It was their fault. They said the wrong thing. They wronged you. They should have thanked you. They should have appreciated you more. They don't notice what you do. They should have messaged you when you were sick. The list goes on, right, of excuses of what the other person should have done. But in these moments, when we would normally put the fault on someone else, I wonder if we were to actually look within ourselves, what we'd find? Would it be that maybe that there was an insecurity? Would it be that there's a past hurt that causes us to respond a particular way in situations? Or is it because the reason that we do things is actually selfish and we're looking for approval from man and not from God? What's inside you when someone wrongs you? Think about that. Is it a desire to correct them or a desire to grow? Do you have a passion that stirs up in you in that situation to grow? Or is it about vengeance? Or is it about understanding? Seeking vengeance, vengeance hurts both people. Seeking understanding brings unity. Imagine if our response to all of the swelling emotions disagreements bring up were filtered by this verse in Psalms 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We should consider that sometimes the things that come up are just for us and God. There might be someone that stirs that up, but it's actually just between me and God, no one else. There's a log in our eye and we need God's help to rid of that log. Don't jump into teaching someone else what they did wrong before assessing what God could be trying to grow within you. It doesn't matter how obvious the mistake Daz made. I need to look at myself first and go, God, what, what do you want to teach me in this? Because as Christians, we, desire, we should have a desire to grow every day because we're moving towards Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I'm going to arrive in my lifetime to be like Jesus the way that I would like to. So we should be growing every day, every moment. So every opportunity should be a moment where we're looking to do that. We need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves and look inwardly to make sure the reason for our disagreement is not selfish, but in fact selfless. 
James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's a lesson to be learned in every trial, so look for that lesson. uh, Point number three, face to face, face it face to face. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. Remember, at this point, we've looked at ourselves and are coming into this disagreement humbly. Although Matthew's just like, bam, you did this wrong. Ouch. Uh, It's important to address this with wisdom and love. James 3, 13, 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. A disagreement done well can feel like a big sloppy wet kiss. Or maybe a bite of a double quarter pounder, I don't know. Or maybe that 20 pack of nuggets that I got last night. I don't know, it feels good, right? Something good. Once you've sorted yourself out and you still feel that you need to sort the disagreement out, it should be one-on-one where possible. We don't need to bring others in to get them caught up in our mess, all our junk, as sometimes disagreements can cause division and warped views for those people that we bring in. Um, So we only want to do that if it's necessary. And we want to do this face-to-face as much as possible, but at least a phone call. Um, The solution to a disagreement shouldn't be about one person being right and one person being wrong, but actually coming together as Christian brothers and sisters and understanding each other. Making amends and accepting uh, accepting that we're all on the same journey with the same goal and we're called to live in unity. Point number four, seek support. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This isn't about bringing someone along that's going to side with you and agree with you. Ideally, you're looking for someone that's going to have a non-biased, that's going to be non-biased in that situation so they can help each of you understand each other, not side with one of you. Um, And just remember in this um, step, it still requires humble understanding hearts. Um, You're not there to be right. You're there to seek understanding um, and bring unity. Um, Point number five, seek leadership. Um, If there's a disagreement that can't be solved in this first few steps, it's important to take the next step and invite leadership into this conversation um, so that it can be resolved. The last thing we want to do is leave it unresolved. Um, Don't just give up. Make sure you do your best to resolve the conflict. Matthew 18, 17 to 22 says, If they still refuse to listen, tell 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 it to the church, and 
if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as if you would pagan or tax collectors. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Point number six, humble love. Matthew 5, 43 to 45 says, You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on evil and the good uh, <clears throat> and the good, and sends the rain on the righteousness, righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes there are situations where a tangible, tangible situation, um, a tangible solution isn't availed, but we still are called to love that person. We should choose to desire God's best for them. We should pray for them not to change, because remember, we don't get to dictate who's right in that disagreement. So we should pray for them not to change, but for God to bless them and for Him to do what He wants to do in their life. We should position our hearts in a positive way towards them. Remember that God has plans for that person that we don't know about. It isn't about whether or not we think they deserve love. It's that they are God's creation and we are called to love them. Love is a contract that we sign with Jesus when we give our lives to Him. When we say, I surrender my life to you, God, I want to live your way. These are action words. We're saying, I'm going to love everyone the way that God loves them and God sees them, not the way that I see them. Love is a contract that we sign with Jesus. If we confront every step in this process of a disagreement with the heart that God has for the person we are disagreeing with, I believe that we're going to get the best outcome. So to recap, let it go like Elsa. Do you want me to sing the song? Maybe you'll remember. <laughs> no, not happening. If you can move past the disagreement in a healthy way, then do it. It's simple. If you can do it, do it. Check your heart. Is this about the other person or is it about what's going on in your heart and what God's trying to teach you in that moment? Address the problem face to face and do it as soon as possible, but do it with love and humility. Support. Seek a non-biased person to mediate, not team up, for the best outcome. Take it to leadership. Some things can be complex, so don't be afraid to seek wisdom from the church leadership. Love, just love. At the end of the day, no matter the outcome of any of these points, we're called to love each other. Whether or not we agree doesn't change this calling. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com 
www.ai.org.au. And thanks again for listening.